everyone! Before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click Sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. Certainly, um, we're aware of what happened in Boulder just a few days ago, and just the horrificness of that, the loss of life, and I think it's important that we just take some time to um, remember uh, that, to, to think through that a little bit, um, to gather together as, as community. And, and I certainly don't stand up here pretending to have answers as to why certain things happen or what we do, but, but I, I, I do believe it's important that we just take time to mourn. Uh, the Bible's clear that we rejoice with those who rejoice, that we mourn with those that, that mourn. And I think one of the ways that we can do that and engage in healthy and important ways is, um, you know, through technology, you actually can get to know uh, the victims a little bit. Their stories, both in video, in print, um, online, you can kind of find out what made them tick, what was important to them, um, what their families would like. And I think it's important that we would just take a little bit of time to do that so we're mourning in a more personal way. Um, recognizing that loss and the impact of, of that loss. And so I'd encourage us to just take some time over the next several days, um, not so much trying to figure everything out, but maybe just mourning, shedding some tears, getting to know them. I think the other thing that, that we need to be careful toward is um, just not living in fear. Um, is there a lot that we can be afraid of out there? And this does, does this remind us of some of those things? Certainly it does. But the problem is when we live in fear, we, we tend to um, pull away from people, we tend to disengage, we can isolate, and really that's not how we were created and designed to live. If anything, we need to engage more. We need to um, look for those that are, are broken and hurting for, for all kinds of reasons and how to and ask, you know, how do I play a part in, in helping them in this moment? What, is, what does love require of me in, in this moment? And then I think we, as we move forward, we maybe learn some things about the best part of, of the individuals whose lives were lost, their humanity, and are there things from that that we can emulate, that we can kind of carry on in some way? Um, I think we continue to go to God in prayer it's interesting, I was reading just um, this past week about um, some uh, people who study this type of stuff, I don't know exactly how they do it, uh, over and over again, studies come out and say one of the most unifying things that exists on this planet is just the act of prayer. And so maybe we would just unify with others through prayer, asking God to intervene, asking God to make a difference. And, and we do all this not without hope. Next week, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and in that, there's a reminder that there are excruciatingly dark times. But they don't have the last word. That there's hope, that there's a resurrection. And so we pray and we engage and we mourn. We do all of that still with hope. And so uh, before we get too far along today, we just wanted to take a, a couple moments um, to recognize that. Um, give us some time just to pray a little bit, to think through that um, in silence and then I'll kind of wrap us up um, in prayer.
God, in your goodness and your, your grace, your mercy, we would ask that you would um, imprint upon our hearts and minds those things that we need to consider, that we need to think through, that we need to mourn. You'd help us not to rush through that. You'd help us to um, be mindful of, of, of this incredible loss for these individuals, for their families, for the community. And um, God, we even, we'd open up ourselves to be used by you to help in, in some way. We ask that you'd reveal that to us. God, we pray that these families would um, be comforted in a supernatural way, that they would know your peace, that um, you would help them to mourn and grieve throughout all of this that, um, God, that you'd protect them and their hearts and their, their relationships throughout all of this. God, I pray for the rest of us that we would not live in fear, but we would live with hope. God, that we would be kind, that we would be gracious, that we'd give people the benefit of the doubt, that we would be quick to look for the person that's broken and consider how we can um, be of help to them. God, I pray that you would help us find that um, healthy space between not obsessing on things but being very mindful in appropriate ways of, of what has happened and what it means. And that somehow we would be more considered as we live our daily lives. And so God, we, we offer this all up and, and we look to you as our hope, as the hope. And we trust in that. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Well, my name is Rob, and my wife, Carol Ann, and I, we are part of the uh, family here at Discovery. We're, we're glad that this is our church home, and it's always an honor to be able to share a little bit with you as we continue on in the book of, of James. Finally, their little boy was asleep, so peaceful, so still. Mom and dad embraced each other in a way that said, we made it through another day. The embrace was reassuring to each, but more so provided the very physical support they needed after the exhaustion of the day. This was, not, this was now how most days ended. The days of fighting and blame and anger and confusion and being overwhelmed had surrendered to a strange blend of desperation, and acceptance. What little hope remained was buried deep beneath years of anguish. Only 10 years earlier, they were ecstatic about the pregnancy and could not help but dream, as all parents do, what would their child look like? What would their child do? They were old enough and realistic enough to know that being a parent, sure, it brought fulfillment and joy, but also the unknown and challenges they were ready for that, but not for this. They never imagined that their little boy would lose his ability to speak. The horror of viewing his body convulse and fall to the ground almost daily was nothing compared to seeing the child's pain from throwing himself into a fire or turning blue from nearly drowning as he seemingly hurled himself into the nearby river. There were no answers, but plenty of opinions. Their family and friends, most of who were now distant, 
offered that it was a disease of some sort. Most believed that the boy was possessed. The next morning, the father wondered if it was despair or or hope or love or foolishness that was propelling him to take this short journey with his boy. The father wasn't sure, but, but he had heard about a group of young men who were nearby who had been traveling with a rabbi, and there were stories about these men and their ability to heal. When the father arrived and asked the men to help his son, he knew in an instant that he was driven by hope and despair and foolishness, but mostly by a father's love. His little boy looked frightened as the men gathered around him and placed their hands on him. Unsuccessful in his attempt to restrain his expectation of a miracle, the father was crushed when nothing happened. Nothing. He was foolish to believe. He looked tenderly down on his son, unaware of the argument that was taking place around him. Soon another man arrived, the one they called Jesus. Was he angry or Concerned, the boy wondered. The father wondered if he should step in to protect his child, but something in him said that this man was here to help. With as much faith as he could muster, the father told Jesus the plight of his son and his hope as his father. If you can, if you can, the father said, Everything is possible for one who believes, the father heard in response. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Finally, their little boy was asleep. Had it really been three months since that encounter with Jesus? There he was, so peaceful, so still. Mom and dad embraced each other in a way that said, we made it through another day. Who knew keeping up with a healthy and active 11-year-old could be so exhausting? I put that reimagining together. It comes from the Gospels. Um, Mark 9 is one place where you see this story about the father with doubts, his little boy who Jesus healed. And and I put that together um, because I think it's a point where we all can kind of start from. My guess is all of us, we might use different words, but we know what it's like to be desperate. We, we know what it's like to have kind of a shaky faith. We know what it's like at, to have some part of us believe that Jesus can and will make a difference in whatever we're asking him to make a difference in, but yet there's something in us that maybe struggles also with unbelief, not sure that he really can. And again, Jesus asked the overwhelmed father, he says, do, do you have faith? Do you believe? And and I think the father's response is, I do and I don't. And again, can you relate with that? I mean, I can. Where it's like, yeah, I absolutely do believe, but I mean, is it really going to happen? Can you really do that? Will this really take place? I've got some doubts. And I love the father because he is honest enough. He's like, listen, I have some doubts. To get over those doubts, I'm going to need your help. I think it's a great posture and one that maybe, if we're honest, we all share. 
And, and now if you, you journey through Christianity, you attend church enough, you watch enough things, you read enough things, eventually you're going to come across, if you haven't already, some people that will say, listen, when it comes to faith, you can't doubt. Doubt can't be part of your faith or else it's not faith. And even worse, they'll sometimes say, listen, a prayer of faith means to command something or someone in some way. Now listen, that's something, but that's not prayer, and that's not what James is talking about, as we will see. There are a whole lot of people who will do things in the name of Jesus, but they will violate the ways of Jesus. And so we always have to consider, what is the way of Jesus here, and what does that mean for me? So James is describing a prayer of faith, and as we'll see, it's something really specific. It's very direct. And I think it doesn't really matter <laughs> how much faith you have. It's just that it's a prayer of faith. So it comes even with our doubts. When the father said, I believe, help my unbelief, that actually was a statement that he was actually depending on Jesus to help him with his son, but also to help him with his lack of faith. And to me, that's great dependence on God, thus that's great faith. And see, the thing there was that he had, as shaky as his faith, faith was, it was in the right thing. Listen, you can have absolutely perfect, 100% certainty kind of faith that that one-inch sheet of ice over that lake is going to hold you, so much so that you run as fast as you can, and you go running out on the ice, and you're going to drown with all of your perfect faith, right? Because that perfect faith was in the wrong object. But if you take a shaky, wobbly, somewhat uncertain faith and you put it into action, and that happens to be on a two-foot thick piece of ice that's covering a sheer piece of lake, you might head that way with a bunch of trepidation, but you're taking your little bit of faith that you have, you're putting it into action, and it's directed to the right object that makes all the difference in the world, and you're safe and you're sound. And so we learn that. And so as we lean into what James is saying to conclude his letter, I think we do that with a mindful, like we know what it's like to be desperate. We know what it's like to wish things were a little bit different and that Jesus would just make it better. But maybe also understanding that at times we're not, we're not sure that he will or that he can and so that's one of the reasons we want to pay attention to what James is saying here. The other is, if you've been tracking along, if you've been following in this series, James lays out um, kind of this life of faith and, and what it looks like functionally and what it looks like practically. And, and I think if we're honest, it's pretty daunting. I mean, there's 108 verses in James, and, and 60 of those verses have a command of some sort, instruction of some sort. It's a bit like buying a piece of Ikea furniture, Right? Anybody done that? Who's done that? Yeah, online maybe you've done that. You get the Ikea furniture and you got these instructions and you lay it all out and it's got to come together somehow. And, and I don't know what it's like for you, but at least for me, all that means is that my wife and I are going to get in a fight and I'm going to have three extra Allen wrenches when everything's all done. It's a bit daunting. And so James here has kind of given us, the, the, here's how you need to live, but we have to remember that the priority for James is never about just sort of this transaction that we make in our brain, but it's just this continued transformation of our heart that's rooted in faith and dependence on God. I mean, life is messy. Life is brutal. You are going to have trials, James lays out in front of us. And so James' challenge over and over again is, listen, be shaped by God's 
eternal intentions be shaped by his goodness, by his grace, by his generosity. Allow those things to shape you rather than your own agenda or your own understanding of things. And in the face of brokenness and doubts, through the difficulty of living in what's a very broken world, he focuses in on prayer. And that's so important because prayer reminds us to depend on God. Prayer is depending on God. And I think the other thing that helps with this is when we take the time and we intentionally engage with others and we pray for them, there's something affirming about that where it says, listen, your struggle, I see it. Your struggle, I see it. I I understand it to the the best of my ability. And I want you to know that that you're not alone. I want you to know that I am with you. And living this life that that James has laid out, that's going to be absolutely crucial. So there's a really long setup. Let's dive into James 5.13. Here's what he says. He says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but, but notice there are one another's in there that go beyond just the elders. So there's an, there's an elder function as, as leaders within the church, as those that are serving and, and shepherding the, the, the church body, the expression, for example, like discovery. They have responsibilities. Some of that is included in praying for the sick, but that's not limited to them as we can see in this text as he's saying one another, one another, one another. And then he closes out with the prayer of a righteous person has great power and is working. So again, James is not trying to unpack everything possible that there is to know about prayer, but he's concluding his letter, which is a pretty important part. He's saying, listen, I want you to remember, I want you to know prayer is powerful and prayer makes a difference. That prayer is really necessary in order to live this life that I've challenged you toward. That, that a life of faith is best navigated by responding to God. I'm just going to call that praise, right? Say, okay, I'm responding to God and, and the good things that he's done. I'm acknowledging who he is. I'm going to give him praise for that. And then requesting of God, which we're just going to call that prayer. Where it's like, okay, God, would you please intervene? Would you do something here in this case? Would you change the circumstance? So again, James, you, you look at it and it's pretty clear that James is like, well, how a church functions is that they just sort of have prayer going on for people 24-7, 365. It's just the fabric of who they are and what they do, and that's probably a message for another time. But within that, James, not surprisingly, gives very specific instructions. Here's what it looks like. Here's what you do. Three main things he leans in on. First one is pray over the person. The second is anoint with oil. And then the third is confession, and along with that really is, is forgiveness as well. So James is helping us orient this aspect of our prayer life with an emphasis on, well, what do we do when those around us, when those that are part of our church family, what do we do when they, there's someone that is sick? <coughs> and the first thing we've discussed 
It's that prayer of faith, which is a specific prayer. Okay, I'm not praying for you in general. I'm praying in a specific way for this to happen. I'm praying on your behalf, not with perfect faith, but I'm praying in faith that God will change this circumstance in your life as it relates to your health. And then the second thing we see here is anointing the sick person that we're praying for with oil. Now, oil has a lot of symbolism within the Bible, and I don't want to take away from that, certainly not. And maybe this is just something symbolic here. I mean, oil um, represents God's blessing. Oil certainly is is a visible sign of the healing power of God. Often you see oil as uh, uh, kind of displaying the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does. But, But I wonder if the meaning here might just be much more practical and simple. I mean, think about the story of the Good Samaritan. I'm guessing most of, of everyone watching and, and people sitting here know that story where you have the Good Samaritan, he's going by and, and the man was, was beat up and stolen from and left in the ditch by the robbers and he's got cuts and he's got bruises and his life is in peril and, and all of a sudden the Good Samaritan come by, comes by and what's the first thing he does before he goes and takes him to where he can be cared for? He takes wine and cleans his wounds and then he takes oil so he can soothe those wounds. So historically, and it's still true today, oil is really considered a medicine. And so I, I think that James is advocating, yes, we care for the sick person with prayer and medicine and medical things that we have at our disposal. Listen, if you and I are hiking in the beautiful mountains of Colorado, And we're having a great time, but you slip and fall because I'm not slipping and falling. You slip and fall, and you gash open your leg, and you are bleeding out. I have no doubt that you will appreciate me praying for you. But my guess is that you will appreciate much more me using this old medical device, which is often called a tourniquet, to actually save your life. Right? We use both of those things together. Listen, when I was, um, I don't know, 10 years old or something, I was on my grandma and grandpa's farm, and I'm out running around, and I step on a rusty nail, and it goes through my heel. And it hurt, and I cried, and I go running in, and my grandma's there, and she cleans it and takes care of it. And then you know what she does, kind of surprisingly? She goes to her refrigerator, takes a chunk of bacon, and she puts that bacon on my heel and wraps it all up, and she says, that'll draw the infection out. And I'm like, yeah, swine, draw affection out. Perfect, that's exactly what will work. Um, but so the next couple of days, I'm walking around like dogs are following me all over the, the farm and everything. But I'll be doggone if that did not work. And so I, I think a principle here is this, that, that always, always, always take the person to God via prayer, but take them to the hospital via your Subaru. Right? You can actually do both. That's a really good thing to do. Think about it. Medicine, doctors, physical therapy, chiropractic care, vitamins, mental health professionals, optometrists, hospitals, bacon, praise Jesus, bacon. You know what all that is? It's grace. And what's bacon is basically just oil, right? Now, don't get the idea, like, when you go pray for something, don't put, like, a slab of bacon on their head, all right? That's not helping anyone. But that's all God's common grace, and because of the point in history where you and I were born, because of of where you and I were born, at least the majority of us, we actually have access to all these things. And so when we're asking God to heal someone, 
to make a difference in someone's life, man, he may choose to do that supernaturally. He may, he may do that through common grace, through the things that he's already provided for us. I mean, Jesus, right? He healed a blind person by basically spitting on the ground and using that mud, putting it on the person's eyes, and that person was healed. He could see now. So we see that all over uh, the place. So the third thing is confession. And I know that's not like this really popular thing to talk about, but and we have to be careful because some people would say, in fact, Jesus dealt with this. Some people would say, well, you're sick because you're a big sinner. That's why you're sick. That certainly isn't a principle that Jesus taught. And so I want anyone that would say that is just being reckless and, and being dangerous. But I, I would say this, that we've been designed to live a certain way, uh, emotionally, spiritually, physically, and when we violate what God has designed, sometimes there are physical ramifications for that. The way God's designed us, we are, are, are built, we're designed, we're created to, to rest sometimes, that we need to rest. But when we ignore that, when we blow through that, there's probably going to be some type of physical trauma that we experience because we're doing things opposite of the way God's design is. And at the end of the day, that's, that's sin. And so it can affect us physically, but it doesn't mean that every time we have something physically going on, that's directly a result of our sin. But think about the things that we know now versus what we knew a few decades back. We know now how entangled our physical well-being is with our spiritual and our emotional well-being, how linked they are. Um, think of issues like anger and shame and anxiety and, and fear. I mean, all of those impact us physically sometimes the minute we experience those emotions. We know that headaches often are the result of stress in our lives. We know that sometimes ulcers come about because it's linked to fears and worry that we have. We know that digestion issues and sometimes heart issues are related directly to anger that we're not doing a good job dealing with. And so getting well physically sometimes requires that we get healthier emotionally and spiritually. Confessing that we need help. Admitting, confessing like, I've done wrong, I've done somebody wrong, I've been out of bounds. And the confession that James is describing here means stepping away from posing, stepping away from pretending to be somebody that you are not. To be honest with, with God, to be honest with yourself, to be honest with those who are deeply connected to you. And really what it is, it's, it's letting the right people with the right motives intrude on your life because they believe in and are committed to the transformative work of God in a person's life through his grace and his generosity. You want those people connected to you because that's how we grow. That's how we develop. That's ultimately how we are healed. And ultimately, confession is really agreement with God. It's saying, God, you're right. This is wrong. It's saying, I've been wrong. And I acknowledge that I need forgiveness. I acknowledge that I need help from God, from maybe another person. And I think when we do that, we, we reorient away from our own agenda and towards, toward God's. And, and in a deeper way, I think once again, we start to sense his active presence in our life. We maybe feel his love in, in a deeper way. 
And so James lays out all of this, and, and if we're not careful, and some have done this, you can take what James is saying here and saying, aha, so if I put this all together, I do all these things, I go through all these motions, then if I pray for someone who is sick, then they are going to get better. And I would say, no. And some would take that and they'd say, well, if, if, if someone doesn't get better and we've done all these things, and that means somewhere along the line, someone has, has not lived up to the faith side of things. They really haven't demonstrated true faith. And unfortunately, a lot of people have been beaten up spiritually with this type of nonsense. But that's not true. It can't be true. I mean, we can't cherry pick verses and just sort of make them fit what we want to be true or what we believe. You think about the father whose boy was healed. He admitted that his faith was not that great. A little shaky. There's a lot of unbelief in there. And yet his boy was healed. Did you know, do you understand, Jesus knew what it was like to have prayer go unanswered? Did you ever think about that? I mean, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was to be crucified on the cross. And Jesus prays and he asks his father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Meaning like, if there's a different way, another way to do salvation. If, if there's something else that can be done here. And you think about that. There's Jesus in a perfect relationship with his father. There's Jesus with absolutely perfect faith. There's Jesus who lived the perfect life. And God told him that there was no other way. And so certainly if Jesus can experience something that seems unanswered at times, we can. And, and I say this very carefully when it comes to healing because I don't want it to come off as trite or insensitive, especially some of you that are battling illness or, or have had a loved one that maybe you've lost to disease. So, so, so I hope you trust my heart in all of this. But there really are two, only two kinds of healing. There's temporary which is getting better in any way this side of heaven. And then there's ultimate healing, which happens when as followers of Jesus, if we've trusted Jesus with our life, with our eternity, then it's ultimate healing when we die and we go in his presence. Because the reality is, all of us are going to die. We're going to die. We may have a, a clue as when that is, but often we will not. And so at some point, someone's going to be praying for us, and that prayer is going to seemingly go unanswered because it's going to seem like, man, they were not healed, but maybe it was answered in a way that they were healed ultimately and forever. Maybe. And so we have to be considerate of that. We won't always get the answer that we pray for. Doesn't that stink in some ways? But isn't that, oh man, isn't that a good thing? Because if we got every answer we prayed for, we would be dangerous running around here. I think we understand that at times we don't give our kids what they ask for because we have something different, sometimes something a lot better in mind. Sometimes what they ask for would actually be harmful. Not a great idea. If your little girl, she doesn't want the Barbie, Jeep, Jeep Barbie thing. I don't know if that's still a thing. She wants like a real Jeep as a six-year-old. And she has perfect faith in you. And she trusts you and she knows you're loving and she has been absolutely perfect the last two years of her life. And she knows that you can do it and she knows that you will do it and you're not doing it. You're not buying her a real Jeep because she's six and that makes no sense whatsoever even if she can't understand that. I appreciate Tim Keller's words here. He says this, when you ask something of God, God will either give you what you ask or he will give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. That's good, right? 
man, I think we need to make sure that that's embedded in our, in our heart and mind as we, as we approach God with prayer. He's our Father, and so sometimes, and again, I say this really carefully, you know why we don't get our prayer answered the way we want it answered? It's because God loves us. That he's a good Father. Now let's jump back into the passage. It says this. James says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power in his working, as it is working. Elijah now, he talks about Elijah, was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Now, now James's audience almost for sure knew of Elijah. They knew his exploits. They knew what he had done. They knew that he was this amazing prophet of God who had done astonishing things. They knew that in many ways he lived the very way that James has compelled his audience, you and I, to live. But they also knew that Elijah was broken. They knew that Elijah was courageous one moment, but then fearful and and panicked the next. Some moments, Elijah believed that God could do absolutely anything. And he lived as such. Other moments, this man experienced deep depression. Assured that God had abandoned him so much so that he no longer wanted to live. And all of us, no matter where we are in our spiritual life, in our journey, all that, we're somewhere in that spectrum between absolute faith and absolute despair. We're always somewhere in between there. And, and certainly, Elijah had incredible persistence, and that's something that we can emulate. And, and maybe that's the primary thing that James is pointing to here. And we can be encouraged that a man with a nature like ours, he didn't describe Elijah as a righteous man, but with a nature like ours, through prayer was part of the miraculous. Maybe that too is what James is really pointing to. But I think the primary point here is this. It's more about emulating and being encouraged by Elijah's posture of dependency and reliance on God. That's what Elijah was best known for. The power to live and pray and confess as as James walks us through and describes here, it's not going to come from us trying to, to generate our own spirituality and just doing the very things that James says to do of our own power and strength. There's no way that will last. Rather, it comes from God and a dependence on Him to continue to work in us and to work through us. Not, not, um, not focusing on just our own faith. And here's the thing, and this makes sense to me, and it may or may not make sense to you, but I hope it does. The, the, the thing is this, that we demonstrate great faith when we are depending on God, not when we're depending on our faith. Does that make sense? I mean, the whole thing here is I think sometimes we can get working in our spiritual life, we want to do things right, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, I'm really going to depend on my faith to make this happen. No, don't depend on your faith. Because at times it's going to be shaky at best. But you exercise great faith, incredible faith, when you're saying, you know what? With whatever I got, I'm just going to depend on God. And here's the promise to us. Romans 8, 31 through 34. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. You know who's advocating for you? You know who's going to the Father and saying, listen, let me tell you about them. Let me let you know what's going on in their life. Let me know what they're praying about. Let me, know what let, let, me, let me let you know what they're hoping for. It's Jesus. There's no one better that you can have advocating, interceding for you. And Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for your faithfulness. He's praying for your strength. He's praying for your joy. And so let me encourage you maybe toward three things, at least to consider. First one is this. Invite friends to pray for you. Make that part of your regular rhythm of life, formally and, and, and informally. Because there's something about that that makes us vulnerable. There's something that, in doing that, it kind of checks our pride at the door. And, and pride is that thing that almost always precedes us making really bad choices. Right? And so by just saying, hey, I need prayer here, I need help here, that's, that's not something that's a weakness in you. That's actually a strength because you're wise enough, you, you know enough to know like, yeah, without people praying for me, I, I could train wreck this thing. And so make it part of your, invite people to pray for you and ask them to pray for you in very specific ways. Right? It, it helps you build dependence on God. It helps you build dependence on those people that God has placed lovingly in your life. Second thing is invite a few close friends to intrude in your life. And it's more than just this accountability thing. Like I'm not against accountability. I know accountability partners and things like that. If you're in that, that's great. Not against that. But I think what happens sometimes when you're in this accountability relationship, the whole thing is like, well, um, I didn't and I didn't and I did and I did and well, I almost did and I almost didn't but I almost didn't. And, and pretty soon after 30 minutes, the whole conversation is about you. And you don't necessarily need that. What you need most in your life is someone that knows you, someone that knows your shame, your hurt, how you've messed up, your joys, your hopes, your sorrows, your struggles, that knows all those things, but they are going to take all those things that they know about you, and they're going to take you, and then they're going to stand it up against the good news of Jesus, which is the gospel. We're going to say, okay, we're going to interpret all this junk, all this good stuff, everything. We're going to interpret it through the reality that Jesus absolutely loves you and came to give his life for you and make a way for you. That's what you need in your life. But you don't get that unless you invite somebody in to do, to do that. And the third thing is vest in others through prayer. And, and the one point of this that's absolutely free of charge, all right, is this. If you can answer the prayer, don't pray the prayer. Like if you have a neighbor, a single mom loses her job and she doesn't, and you, know, you know that she needs diapers for the baby and she doesn't have any food, if that's something you can provide, you don't need to pray for that. You need to go to the store, get her diapers and food, go over to her house, deliver her the diapers and food, and then pray for her. So if there's a, something, say, if you can answer a prayer, don't pray the prayer, answer the prayer. I really, really believe that. But again, invest in others through pray. Try to make it more of the rhythm of your life and saying, not saying, I will pray for you. There's nothing wrong with that. But rather say, let's pray. And pray in that moment. And if you're praying for someone, shoot them a text that, hey, don't know why, I just wanted to pray for you. I did it right now. You don't know the difference that will make in somebody's life. So invest in others in praying for them. My little girl, Elise, who's not so little anymore, she's 30. It's crazy when your youngest child is 30. 
when she was six or seven, she learned to ride her bike, and she was out riding her bike um, in front of her house. Um, and all of a sudden, she came in, and she sat on the couch, and she didn't say a word, and she just looked down like this. And I knew something was wrong, and so I'm looking at her. I say, honey, is everything okay? Are you okay? Are you hurt? I'm looking over, and she seems fine. But she is not saying a word to me. And I'm trying to get her to talk, and I finally said, well, I bet, okay, did you, did you pull out in front of a car and someone yell at you because they were mad because you pulled out in front of them? I mean, there's like no response coming. So finally, I walk outside, and I walk up and down our, by, our block, and then I go around the corner, and there's this car parked on the side of the street, and the side mirror is knocked off and it's just kind of laying there, hanging out the car, and I'm like, aha, that's what happened. So I walk back in, and I kneel down, and I said, Honey, did, did you knock the side mirror off the car? And she burst into tears, and she says, Yes, I did, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I gave her a big hug that moment, and I said, Hey, listen, honey, man, I'm your dad. You, that's okay. Things like that are going to happen. You realize I can make that all okay. I can make that 100% okay. We're going to make that okay. You realize that, right? Yeah. And so we wrote a note, and we went out there and put it on the car and let them know we're going to pay for it. Here's where we live. Here's our phone number. And I think back to that story often when I think about going to God because I think for some of us in life, we're kind of going through, and we cruise around, and we knock off a side mirror. And our dad, our heavenly father, is just saying, hey, I love you. And I want to help you. And we just need to look up and say, I need your help. Would you intervene? Would you do something about this? And our loving Father, that's what he desires and loves to do. God, I thank you for loving us, for caring for us, for providing for us. Help us, uh, man, all these things we've learned from the book of James, help us to remember and put into action those things that, that we need to. Help us to forget things that, that have little to no meaning or are just outright wrong. And help us to be sensitive not only to your leading, but sensitive to the needs of people around us. Help us to care for them in very real tangible ways and help us to certainly be mindful of what they need and bring that to you in prayer on their behalf. God, we ask that you'd work miracles in our midst, not for our glory, not for our fame, but for yours. Praise in Jesus' name.